Hello and welcome to Employment Talk. We're here to discuss the HR issues affecting you and to keep you up to date with the latest employment law matters. My name's Glenn Hayes, National Head of Employment at Erwin Mitchell. Hi, and I'm Jo Mosley and I'm a support lawyer here. So then, Jo, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I was driving back from the gym yesterday morning at some ungodly hour and I was listening to LB... Yeah, it is good. I've actually started a training regime, but hey, um, I was listening to LBC on the radio and Nick Ferrari was saying that people in this country didn't want to put in a full day's graft anymore and that the government was pandering to them by giving them the right to work flexibly from the first day of work. Yeah, that's what I thought. I spent quite a lot of time shouting at the radio. Um, He was, of course, referring to the government's response to the consultation on flexible working that it started last year. But of course, he misrepresented the changes that are going to happen. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to discuss this topic in a bit more detail. So what is going to change then, Joe? Well, before we get into the detail, I'm going to give you a quick quiz. Oh, God. (laughs) Do you know when the right to ask to work flexibly first came into force? Um, 2014, right? No, no. Do you want to have another guess? 2006. That's much better. You're closer. So (laughs) the legislation first came into force in 2003, but at that time it was limited to parents and certain other carers with 26 weeks service. The 2014 date that you referred to is the changes that were made, which allowed any employee with 26 weeks continuous service to Ah, ask for the right to work. Um, flexible working. Yeah, they didn't. Did you just do that to embarrass me, or? Well, I thought it would just such a sort of test, <laughs> little Christmas quiz. Right, which have failed. Well, never mind. So, so what is going to change? Well, there's four key changes, um, and what I thought what we'd do is we'd look at each of those in turn, as well as looking at those that the government isn't going to go ahead with or wants further consultation on. So the headline change is that people will have the right to ask to work flexibly from day one. So the 26 week continuous service will disappear. But it's it's not flexible working by default. So that's what the government said that it would um, introduce pre-consultation. And it's still only the right to request to work flexibly, not a right to have what what um, you're looking, you know, what you're asking for in effect. So do you think, Glenn, that making it a day one right is a good thing? To be honest, Joe, I, I actually think that the way that interview processes work now anyway, is I almost think it comes in pre-employment rather than on day one. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot, depending on what sector you're in, I think certainly from from professional services point of view, I think that if you are trying to recruit for jobs, it's become so much of an important issue for such a lot of people, largely as a result of the pandemic and the changes in which which people work. I actually think that it's 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 in anywhere, albeit not formally, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I think the evidence that we seem to have is that employers who offer flexibility get up to 30% more applicants for job vacancies. I think what what I've tended to see is there are some fairly archaic views in certain types of sector where the default position is no I'm sorry it's five days from the office or whatever and I I think people will lose out on 
sort of opportunities to get the best people. I think they'll they'll have an impact on retirement ages if people don't do these types of thing. I think um, people will be able to work at a certain skill level and they'll be able to take on jobs that work around other commitments. So I, I think there are definitely some positive points about it. I think particularly in the context of a, of a skill shortage. I think where there's a bit of a negative uh, issue, I think is it puts another administrative hurdle in for employers to deal with things formally. And I think large employers will be able to absorb that relatively easy with sort of significant HR departments. Mm. I think for smaller ones, they'll see it as quite administratively burdensome. And I think, um, you know, but again, I think when this came out, we had people ringing us saying, um, you know, we're going to, all our employees are going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And it, I would remind people it is a right to request, not a right to have. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it doesn't help, does it, where you've got prominent radio presenters that are misrepresenting what is going to change? Well, yeah. You know, particularly for the, you know, as you say, these sort of smaller organisations that don't have a HR function. Yeah, look, I think working flexibly has its benefits. So I think when we're talking about the right to work flexibly, the two main things are hours of work and location, really. Mm-hmm. There, there are obviously other factors as well that come into play, but they're the two main ones. And I think, you know, I mean, we have the discussion in our own team about things like anchor days and, you know, the benefits of having people in the office at certain times, but we're not requiring people to come in five days a week like we used to. And I think... That, that definitely has benefits for our team. I think it's about balance and it's about trust as well. But, but more so, I think it's about dialogue. So we have to put the client at the heart of everything that we do. If the ability to work flexibly causes a detriment to the client, then we need to, to look at that again, I think. Yeah, of course. And, and we keep it under review fairly constantly. Yeah, yeah, that, that all makes, it, makes sense. I suppose the only comment I had about the day one right was I can see how it would work well if you're just talking about hours because an employer ought to have a good idea at the point where it's recruiting you know how many hours the job needs whether or not it can be done you know on shorter hours or whether they're going to need to recruit somebody else to cover what used to be called job shares those sorts of things but where I see it as being more problematic is in relation to location you know, if you, if you look at a scenario where you've got a new employee, they won't have any actual experience of how your particular job works or the demands that it imposes on them. And they might make assumptions about how easy it will be, for example, to work from home. And I think that causes a real problem for employers because at that stage, they are really making a a decision blind. They won't know about the employee's capabilities. But nonetheless, you know, there is always a bedding in period. And, you know, there may be a requirement to work with direct supervision. They may need face-to-face meetings in order to get certain projects underway. There's lots of other things that that might need to be done. I also don't think... I also don't think that people will understand the culture of your organisation. So that's true. If they've come from a different organisation and the culture is X and yours is Y, and you believe that Y is better than X, then don't don't they need to sample that in order to, you know, on a regular basis with different people and different views, in order to understand what you're trying to achieve. So 
yeah, I do think, I think there so. is an issue there, uh, definitely. But there's nothing to stop somebody from an employer saying, for example, for the first, whilst you get up to speed with X, Y, and Z, then you know we want you in this much time. But after that, we'll review it and we'll you know we'll change it in line with the request you're making or you know whatever. There's nothing wrong with that in my view. No. No, and I think a lot of employers are already doing that, aren't they? Albeit um, they don't generally have these discussions at day one, but they are, you know, even if they don't think something will work, often they're putting in place a trial period so that at least then if it doesn't work, they've got ev- they've got real evidence that they can go back to the employee and say, look, we've given it a go. It's not worked. Therefore, we're going to have to go back to, you know, the hours or well, the location at which you worked before. And Joe, without being too legalistic about it, They've got the ability then, then if an employment tribunal claim is brought to say, look, we aren't the sort of organisation that just routinely turns down these requests. Okay, We gave it a go. We tried. We spoke with the employee. It didn't work for these reasons. What are we supposed to do? Yeah. You've got a much better argument in front of an employment tribunal, in my view, if you've given it a go and it hasn't worked than just blanket refused it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. So let's move on then to the eight business reasons that employers can rely on if they're going to turn down a request. The government was looking at whether or not it needed to either change or adapt those. Um, It's decided that it's not going to make any changes. But what was interesting in the response to the consultation document was that there was a real disparity in views between what employees wanted and what employers said that they needed. So Employees, for example, thought that it was already too easy for employers to be able to turn down a request. And businesses, on the other hand, were saying they needed much more scope, particularly to deal with day one requests to work from home. I just wonder what your views on that. We've already briefly discussed um, COVID, but I wonder whether that has really moved the baseline for these sorts of discussions. Well, I think my view is that Yes, there are eight business reasons to refuse the request, but they are quite broad in nature. You know, things like the performance will suffer, for example. You know, that gives a, a lot of scope for employers to turn down that request if they if they genuinely believe they'll fall under that category. But let's not forget, Joe, that the, the penalty for turning down a request and a claim in that respect if the employee wants to bring it is relatively low. The real risk in these types of situations really is the discrimination claim that can potentially sit there. So take, for example, a woman that wants to work part time in order that that she can do the school run, for example. The tribunals now largely well acknowledge on the whole that that women have still primary responsibility for childcare and the vast bulk of situations. So there's a there's a potential indirect discrimination complaint there if a if an employer imposes a nine to five working hours regime. So, and the, the penalties for that are much more significant than yeah. the, the flexible work and stuff. So I think the good employers will always enter into a dialogue and say, right, we perceive the problems with this request to be these, okay? Can we have a discussion, okay, regarding that issue? And in order so that we can make an informed decision, I think the difficulty with doing that at day one is, there's no real relationship there with the employee because you you don't know them at that point. You don't mm. you don't know much about you know other than perhaps a couple of interviews and a sort of getting to know you, you know conversation or whatever. You you don't have the same relationship at that point. So I think that's the difficult thing. That the, the thing that 
has changed all this, of course, is the, is the sort of pandemic and many people being forced to work from home and people get get used to that. And I think it's difficult to, to sort of roll back from that. So mm. if you've got some members of staff that have continued to work from home and, and it's worked, I think it's quite difficult to then refuse requests. Now, ACAS codes and things like that will say, well, look, it's a first come, first serve basis, but I'm not sure that's the, the greatest way of doing it for most of the situations. It's just trying to work out whether it works for your business or not. And I think if you start from the position of we're going to see whether this works or we're going to try and make this work rather than default position is no, yeah. I think employers are in a much better position. Not not just because, you know, they'll, they'll ward off legal claims, but I think actually the relationship with the employee on the back of it, we've tried to give it a go, for example, will be much stronger. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting point you make, actually, because... I suppose a lot of it is about the quality of the discussions that you have with the employee, as you've said, rather than necessarily going through the checklist of well, which of these grounds can I rely on. And I, do, I suppose, actually, that's, that is going to be very, very difficult, as you say, if you don't know the person very well. They've, they've not actually started working for you. Well, quite often in advance of a, so if somebody puts in a flexible working request and the, and the employer comes to us and says, you know, I really want to turn this down for these reasons. I think quite often in advance of that formal meeting, my advice to that employer would be, rather than just ambush the employee at the meeting itself, why don't you write to them and say, look, we're going to have this meeting on X date, but I want to give you some preliminary views in advance of it because I want you to have a think about it before you come to the meeting. And we, we see some concerns in relation to this. So, for example, if somebody wanted to work, I don't know, 10 till 3 and your peak time was 8 till 10, then clearly that's a problem. So, you know, pointing out that the peak period might be from 8 o'clock till 10 o'clock and do they have any suggestions on ways to get round that for it to be observed by other members of the team or whatever. So that, you know, you saying to them, look, I'm willing to consider these things, but I just, these are my preliminary views and this is what I'm concerned about and this is how I think it's going to impact on performance. But do you have any solutions for me to, to try and, um, get around those issues. I think that's really important, to be fair. The mm-hmm. difficulty, like I say, is I think you don't really have a, the relationship on a, from a day one point of view. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, that leads us very nicely on to um, the other, or one of the other changes that the government are going to be uh, making, and that is uh, they're going to put an, an obligation on employers to consider alternatives if they can't grant the request that the employee has made in its entirety. Do you think that's necessary? And have you seen any evidence that employers regularly ignore viable suggestions that have been made by the employee? I think most good employers will consider things on its merits. I think there's not many that just start from the default computer says no type situation, not least because they're worried about sex discrimination claims normally or, or disability discrimination claims, for example. So I think I don't think that will make a ma- massive difference because I think most good employees would and should do that anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, the other significant change is around time limits. As you know, currently employees can only ask to work flexibly once every 12 months. Um, And the government has recognised that things change and has said that it's going to increase that to being able to make an application twice a year. And they're also looking at um, how quickly employers have to determine the application. So at the moment it's three months, but they're going to reduce that down to two months. Do you think that will make much difference? Well, 
I, I don't see why it takes three months to deal with a request anyway, quite frankly. So if somebody writes to me as, a, as their employer and says I want to do X, I think you know common decency would probably mean that I get on with it. And it doesn't take me three months to do it. So on that side of things, I don't think it's a major issue. I think most employers get on with it anyway. Um, I think the, the two a year rather than one a year, you know, I mean, if it's the same request, is it really going to have changed that much? If it's a different request, you know, I, I suppose administratively, if you're a small organisation, you know, that could cause a problem. Um, so there's no there's no differentiating factor depending on the size of the organisation. And it's, for example, it's HR capacity. So clearly for some organisations, I think that will be administratively difficult. Mm. I mean, it may be that, I mean, I, I don't know how many people put in the same request year after year um, after it's already been turned down. But I would have thought that, you know, for some people, it will be a change in the circumstances. So it may be that they have agreed X in their first um, flexible working application, but something has changed in their you know, personal lives and they then need to change it again to reflect those changes. I would have thought it might be more yeah, like or, that. Or the business has changed and, you know, ultimately yeah. the, the ability to do a job share before wasn't there, but it probably is now if somebody's come in, for example. But I think, I don't think organisations were that rigid anyway about saying, well, you've had one request, that's it, because it doesn't get you around that, that discrimination angle. So, no, no. Um, so I don't think, I don't think it'll make a massive difference. The other thing I wanted to pick up on, Glenn, was another procedural change that's going to be taking place. At the moment, the onus is on the employee to suggest how the employer can accommodate their request. Going forward, and once this legislation comes into force, the parties will be expected to work that out together, presumably via dialogue. That makes sense to me. Does it to you? Yeah, definitely. I, I do think it's what happens anyway, though, for good employers, at least. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of when this is going to come into effect, the, the government are going to have to introduce primary legislation. So it's not something that's going to change immediately. There is a private members bill going through the Commons at the moment, which the government has said it's going to support. And that will make changes to the number of requests that you can make each year so going from one to two and the time frame within which the employer has to consider those requests but we don't yet know when the day one right will come into force and the other thing i wanted to mention is that the government has said it's going to um, bring forward a separate call for evidence on what it calls informal flexibility this sort of idea about you know, having temporary periods so that you can give things a go to see whether or not they're going to work, or in fact, to deal with ad hoc and informal situations that may only um, last for a short period of time. So that will be on the agenda for next year too. Well, that, that, I mean, that seems all sensible to me. So take, for example, somebody who's got an illness in the family. Now, there are obviously other rights that deal with all this stuff, but you may need changes to people's hours and locations of work to deal with family emergencies now i know there's other laws that deal with that type of thing but um you know it may be on a on a longer term basis if you've got somebody i don't know suffering from cancer and you need to look after them for a prolonged period of time and that's mm -hmm. this this will be a more appropriate right to to request that under but look flexible working covers so much stuff we've had people come to us to say joe blogs has asked 
to work from home in order to work to walk the dog whilst they've you know they go during the pandemic to we've had everything from that to you know we're trying for a baby and you know I, I have no idea what that means to work in hours or you know the patterns during the day I don't think I need too to much information the, I think the detail of that but thankfully it's not in our organization it's in a client so you know but it just goes to show you the, the, the breadth of reasons why somebody might want to to exercise that right so you know it's employers look it? out <laughs> I was going to say, it's also interesting that people are actually telling you because, of course, the government did away with all that in 2014. So at, prior to that, you had to tell your employer why you needed to make yeah. a change to your working hours. You don't need to do that anymore. Well, and I think maybe, a lot, sorry. maybe it's the human element of it, Joe. So if, you're, yeah. if there's a good reason as to why, you know, somebody wants it or needs it or whatever, then maybe it's more likely to be acceptable. I don't know. But I think... I, from a personal point of view, maybe it's an unconscious bias here, I suppose, maybe, but I might look at it slightly differently if it was a child rather than a dog or, you know, mm. that, that maybe reflects my own views rather than, and I think the, the the one from working from home in order to, you know, have a, have a baby, I don't know, I, I wouldn't know where to even start on that one, quite frankly. <laughs> Probably where we should wrap this up, to be fair. Indeed. So, right, well, thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more about our latest employment updates alongside expert commentary, uh, we might have a, it's normally in a fortnight, but that would put us pretty much squarely on Christmas Day. So it might be a short time thereafter. Thanks for listening. Brilliant. Thank you, Glenn. Bye-bye. Thank you.